and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 111. Can't we all just get along? Yeah. Can't we, Steve? Come on. This is the episode <laughs> where you and me hash it out. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. Hey, welcome, guys. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I am alongside my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, Matt. And we have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. Today we have back one of our favorite and most popular uh, guests. So I, I, I wanted to like pause for a second and say popular like in the whole wide world. I don't know. Popular <laughs> on this podcast. It was the most list, one of the more <laughs> listened to ones. But his story and ministry has impacted my heart deeply. And he's compassionate, prophetic, intelligent, and my friend. And his name is David Bennett. David, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Lori. It's uh, great to be on again. I've... Uh... Yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into, uh, you know, what's happened since our last podcast together. Yes. Ooh, yes. And we are excited to learn from you. Longtime listeners of the Hole in My Heart podcast will remember our dear Australian friend David from but way back before his book came out in episode 49. Yeah. Was that like between seasons? I think that was still season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for those of you who don't know who he is or just want a little refresher course, uh, David Bennett is a research fellow at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. He's also an apologist with the Ravi Zacharias Ministries, and he's from Sydney, Australia, where he is right now. And we're praying for you guys with the fires, etc. Hopefully by the time this posts, uh, those have all been cleared away. Let it be so, Lord. Uh, David holds an Oxford postgraduate degree in theology, a master's degree in analytic and exegetical theology from St. Andrew's School in Scotland, and is now completing his doctorate in theology at the University of Oxford. And David recently published his first book, A War of Loves with Zondervan. All right, David, you've done a lot of stuff. You've got a lot of head knowledge, but I also know you got heart knowledge. I also know you can help us tackle this question of the week from last week. It's a big one. Where's the weirdest place you've ever fallen asleep? Weirdest place you sleeping. You well, can start us out. I have to confess that I really struggle with jet lag a lot. And people oh. tell me that it's not real, but it is real. Yes. And when you cross from the UK to Australia, you end up falling asleep in all sorts of weird and wonderful places. <laughs> but I think the funniest one for me was when I was having a bath Uh-oh. and I fell asleep in the water for like four hours oh, no. and I woke up completely soaked, like just sitting in a bath Yeah, and like worried that I was going to actually suffocate myself and drown. <laughs> So were you underwater? And I thought that is actually probably the weirdest one. I fell asleep for four hours in a bath. So you obviously were not underwater for four hours because you're not a merman. Merman. I I was close, though. I mean, it was kind of dangerous. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You must have been a straight up prune. A bath after jet lag, you know? Just (laughs) no. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Well, also, I feel like as the temperature of the water goes down, you risk hypothermia. Like, oh, that true. At some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a pretty, fi- I'm a pretty physically conservative person. Like, I don't really like exercise and outdoors. Like, Bear Grylls freaks me out. <laughs> I, I don't want any of that. I'm happy like 
So it's, I mean, you're not going to get any extreme conditions with David Bennett. You're going to get falling asleep. You know? <laughs> Physically oh, conservative. I, I love yes. that. Same. That is such a precious way to say it. Yes. Okay. That's my favorite. Okay. <laughs> Matt Creek, you and a listener who stood out to you. So the, the listener that I really just resonated with was Anna. Hey, HIMH podcast fam. Um, I love this question because I can sleep basically anywhere and have slept almost everywhere except for planes. I weirdly cannot sleep on planes. Uh, not for lack of trying, though. I am uh, very persistent at my craft. But uh, some of my most memorable places... <laughs> falling asleep. Um, as a kid, I would often uh, read hanging upside down, like off the back of the couch, with my head on like the seat of the couch, and would often fall asleep that way. And I would either wake up like crumpled up in the corner, or I'd wake up still upside down and be very confused about where I was at. Um, and then I think it was sometime in middle school, maybe I was at some holiday party and I can't remember if it was Christmas or possibly like New Year's Eve. I feel like it was New Year's Eve just because you're always up so late. But I distinctly remember like leaning in a corner and then being awoken by one of my friends like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, yeah, sleeping's great. I think people should do it more and in more places. Um, and I love the podcast. and I'm super excited that David Bennett's going to be there with you guys this week. Because he was one of my favorites when he was on before. That's awesome. And I wish I had that ability because I have a notoriously hard time falling asleep when it like comes to kids waking me up in the middle of the night and everything. Um, but probably the weirdest place I've fallen asleep was kind of like David. Maybe it's something about being in, in the water, but it was actually in the shower. I, I had a, a moment in college when I had sat down, like taking a shower because I was just tired. What? In the and like community showers? Not in the community. Oh. This was this. That would be even weirder. Yeah. Um, but no. And then like I woke up 20 minutes later when my roommate's knocking on the door, like opening it and saying, hey, are you all right? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Oh. And so, yeah, 20 minute, 20 minute power nap in, in the middle of the shower. I think we need to talk about sitting down in the shower, though, for a while. But Yeah, maybe, that's probably that's the weirdest podcast. part of this story, yeah, that honestly. Is. <laughs> it's not even the falling yeah. asleep. It's just the why the heck did you sit down in the shower? <laughs> that, that is weird. Steve. Could I ask, were you jet, were you jet lagged? No. <laughs> no, I was just no. a college student. And, and not intoxicated either. Not in, not, in, okay. not in, there was no drinking at all. Not on that campus. Whatsoever. Right. I am a rule follower. Yes, and he is. Yeah, all that kind of stuff, so... Steve? Uh, yeah, I liked uh, this comment. Hi, my name is Stephanie, and I live in Door County, Wisconsin. So the strangest place I've ever fallen asleep was actually intentional. When I was little, I had a weird thing about sleeping in little nooks. So at one point, when we were remodeling our house, we ended up with this really cool shelf in our kitchen pantry, and I slept in there for a week because it was the perfect cozy little nook. Cute. I mean, that's cool. one of the great things about being a kid yep. is that you can just like, I'm going to make that little shelf my bed now, you know, <laughs> or, you know, get into this little cupboard or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciated that. For me, it was um, an inappropriate place and time. Uh, it was in my first job in radio, uh -oh. which I was a college student. And you were not I was, on air. 
burning the candle at both ends and I had a Sunday morning shift and mm. uh, at the time that station aired a local church's like morning church service it was live wow. and I was used to at, in those days I was just getting started so I was pre-recording everything but uh, for this one break like they would end their service at exactly somewhere between 11:59 and 12 p.m. and they knew that you know they had to like shut things off and I would you know take it over and do a, a break with the weather and stuff like that and then start music or whatever and so I was sitting there waiting and it was probably a boring sermon if I'm honest and <laughs> I was super tired and I was like I'm just gonna lay my head down here nope. I've got 10 minutes until the end of this thing and no, then I woke up with the hotline ringing and the assistant <gasps> manager was like um he was really gracious he was like I think we're off the air and I was like oh and it was it was total dead air like I'm hearing static you know it was <laughs> what time was they it? snoring long it was probably about five after like I think it had just been static for a good four or five minutes but it okay. wasn't snoring like that would have been awesome. No, no, no. Hours the mic time. was not turned on, but yeah, it was the the nice. The service had ended. That is so good. Yeah. I appreciated this from Caleb. The floor of my college cafeteria. I used to fall asleep in random places on my college's campus. It became a thing for people to post pictures of me sleeping everywhere. One picture got in the promo video for the school. <laughs> Come to our school. You Take can a nap. Sleep on, or sleep on it. I don't know. There's some sort of joke there. Um, I just thought that was funny. Yeah. That's why I picked it. Uh, I think there's so many places I'll just fall asleep. I am an early bird and not a night owl. So things like, ooh, New Year's Eve, I'm <laughs> not so much fun because about 10 o'clock, I'm like, I'm out, y'all. So we were like legit playing a game in a circle and I was sitting in a chair and I just fell right asleep sitting in the chair waiting for <laughs> the old 12 bells <laughs> so there's that don't invite me to your news party because i'm only fun till 10 <laughs> all right my friend david you know the questions we ask everyone and it's about the gospel if the gospel is i'm more loved than i imagine and yet more sinful than i believe when was that gospel first good news for you and how is it still oh good question i think for me uh, you know, the gospel first came into my life, uh, for the listeners that don't know my story or haven't, um, listened to the other podcast. Um, I was, a an atheist agnostic kind of young gay man came out when I was 14. Um, and I was also very spiritually experimental and hungry for truth. But I think the aspect of knowing that I was a sinner it was always difficult to come to um, and facing up to the fact that I couldn't live up to my own moral standards. But then when I looked at the church and how it had treated gay people and I'd seen like the kind of culture wars going on, there was like, I would never want to be any part of Christianity or the church. Like that is just going to be bad for me. Hmm. It's just going to be bad for my health. Like <laughs> I might be a spiritual person. I might want to like explore, but I'm not exploring there because it's just so nasty. Hmm. And, uh, and I ended up, you know, in a park with my boyfriend at the age of, uh, 14 and he gave me an amber cross and I remember lecturing him about Paul and how anti-women he is and how could you ever believe anything like that? Why are you giving me this cross? Hmm. And then we kissed in the park and a man pulled up on his motorbike and threw, threw a large stone against my back when we were kissing. And that's the first time I ever experienced homophobia 
And I thought, you know, this cross in my hand is the symbol of my oppression and it's the source of homophobia and I need to come against Christianity and work against it um, for LGBTQI people to be free. So I actually made a kind of pact in that park that I would kind of become a gay activist. Um, but what I didn't see is that God was actually deeply identifying with that suffering on the cross and that cross Jesus really was probably saying to me, you know, I went on that cross and I took that stone for you. Mm. And like, I never was able to see that because of both the fact I wasn't really in tune with my own fallenness and my own sinfulness, but also I felt blinded to it because I kept feeling attacked from outside and I never had the secure embrace of the father to open up my vision to see both that I was so deeply loved, but also that I was deeply sinful and flawed. And so it wasn't until I was uh, at university uh, and I had a debate with my uncle. And after that debate at Christmas lunch, 2008, he, uh, he had, we had a debate about kind of the existence of God and absolute truth. And he kind of intellectually defeated me by saying that you said there's no absolute truth and you said you couldn't communicate that with language, uh, let alone, you know, and I, you know, I'm a postmodern, you know, I've done study postmodern philosophy at university. He said, there's, you've just contradicted yourself twice because you said there's no absolute truth. That is an absolute truth. And you just communicated that with language. So I kind of walked out angry <laughs> and fuming and he obviously had studied his Christian apologetics textbook. Um, <laughs> but also he was kind of challenging me and loving me, um, not condemning me with that. So it was a really interesting moment for me and a kind of intellectual awakening where things were challenged that had never been challenged at university, but I stormed out anyway, theatrically in the way that I do. And, uh, <laughs> a bit of fabulous going on. And then <laughs> he was in the car with my aunt afterwards and said, like, I saw the Holy Spirit over David. He's going to become a Christian in three months time. Like God's showing me that, that he will be a Christian. And, uh, three months later I ended up in a pub in the gay quarter of Sydney and a young filmmaker who was at my university, um, she'd gotten her film into the largest short film competition in the world. And I was just amazed by her and never in a million years would I have expected that she was a Christian, like no way. Mm. Um, but she was a spirit filled, loving Christian disciple. And there was something different about her that I hadn't experienced with a lot of other Christians. And she just asked me, have you experienced the love of God? and told me that it was God who opened up the door for her to get this film into this competition. And when she asked me that question, have you experienced the love of God? It's like, that was an eternal moment for me. It's as if it had all been predestined. Um, and like time kind of stopped. It, it was really interesting. I'd never experienced anything spiritually so powerful. And I said, no, I, I didn't know that you could experience the love of God. I thought this was just about like a Bible club or a set of rules in a Bible that like, obviously I'm not part of that. So, you know, and et cetera. Mm. And she just said, if you haven't experienced the love of God, you, you can't know the meaning of your desires. You can't understand all of that. You need to actually know him. And she proceeded to pray for me. And I had this very powerful encounter where I heard a voice and you know, I'd done Buddhist meditation. I'd been a reformed Jew for a week. Like I tried it out. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else 
was as clear as this. Like it was like a voice. It wasn't my mind and it was coming from outside of me and it freaked me out. Hmm. Um, and it just said, do you want me? And the second time, do you want me? And the third time, and then and the third time I just kind of said, yes. Wow. And then I saw like a veil over my heart and this pinprick of light come straight into the innermost part of my being. It was like someone breathing inside of me. And I just felt this life flowing through my whole body. Um, and then I heard this voice say again, like, will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And it was like this huge tug of war over my life. And uh, finally just said yes, uh, although I was a little bit reticent about the fact that it was Christian. Like, <laughs> but I just. <laughs> no, I'm not I Buddhist yes. or Jewish, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the love of God was poured out in my life. I went home that night, found out about the prophetic word from my uncle that I'd be saved in three months' time. It was exactly three months from the Christmas lunch table 2008. Wow. And my mom knew about this word. She'd become a Christian three years before this. And I was just totally gobsmacked and amazed at how God had orchestrated this divine conspiracy. And it turned out the girl who prayed for me also went to the same church as my mom, my aunt, and my uncle. And, <laughs> you know, going on there. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Holy yeah. Spirit was moving and it was just, you know, I've never really, I suppose, recovered from that, the power of that experience. It's just defined my life. It's taught me how much I'm loved. It's taught me how much I fail and how much actually that failure is okay not because it's okay but because mm. god's grace strength is manifested in it and it can be redeemed and that just frees your heart and means you can live a life of transparency and freedom um that i just love that's what the part of being a christian i just absolutely love is free-heartedness and yes. honesty and truthfulness um i feel like that is so missing in so many of our stories. So yeah, that's what I was always seeking, I think, is this kind of mutual comprehension, this kind of real transparency and honesty. And I only first found that in God, I think, and then slowly in his body in the, in the church. So it's been an amazing journey. And that's my answer to your question. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. And ooh, it's so, I, you know, we could just close up shop and be like, well, I mean, do we need to dive into other things? Like, that's enough. That's <laughs> enough of what we need. Seriously, because it so speaks to all of our hearts. It's so amazing. And yet the reason it speaks to us is because we've all, we can taste it. It's either if we haven't tasted it, we want to, and we want more of it. So thank you. So you wrote this story down. You wrote a book called A War of Loves. You guys should all get it. Go read it. It's amazing. Um, and you talk about this journey, this, your surrender, uh, both to Jesus as your Lord of your life, which includes your sexuality. So, you know, we talked to you before you released it and then you did. What's some of the feedback that you've yeah. gotten? Well, first of all, Laurie, I want to say I'm really excited for your Matt's book that's coming Aww. out. Yay. Uh, mixed orientation, marriage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's time. I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to ask you all these questions after you've gone through the same Deal. experience. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, you have to pay a price. That's what I would say. You, you have to pay a price when you're vulnerable. 
and it's worth paying because it releases the power of salvation for so many more people. And, Ooh. you know, when I look theologically at the gospel, and I've spent so much time in a library, like reading too many, you know, theological books. But I think the thing that's really helped me see is that the way that God communicated to us wasn't so much by coming with a speech or a set of words, although there's an aspect of his communication that's like that and that's precious. But he came as a human being, he as the Logos broken and made flesh and made vulnerable to be seen and to be heard and to be touched. And that that's what I wanted to give people in the book. That's what I wanted ultimately to serve up was a response to this question that wasn't just another set of words, wasn't just treating it as an abstract puzzle, even though there's an element where it is like that, but really gave people that vulnerability, that sense of being identified with humanly that I see so beautifully in the gospel. And that has been a deep source of sustenance for me. So the reactions I've had has mean everything from a lesbian nurse who had never heard of the gospel somehow picked up my book, read it, was married to another woman, decided she wanted to leave her and become a Christian and is now like a born again, spirit filled, just like 100 percent 360 turn. Wow. I've had people who are in the church who agree with traditional teaching on sex and marriage who have decided they want to leave that and have read my book and have gone through grief and have said, I, I know this is true, but I need to leave it. I just, mm. it's too much. Um, and I love those kinds of responses because there's a real honesty. There's an exchange and there's also, well, you're always welcome back and you're always loved and, you know, don't feel like you ha- that that decision is permanent. Yeah. But I understand there's been people who are side A um, who are definitely like, gay marriage is fine in the church. Um, one friend in particular, and this is a really interesting, I really want to focus on this story because it was really important for me. I think when I released the book, I was still really angry with side A people. I was like, how dare you just tear down truth? Like, how dare you? Like I have come across this channel. I've been this exodus out of the world and I've been saved and God has revealed his holiness and love and truth to me. How can you compromise that like how can you you know it's so easy just to believe in gay marriage like Mm. like when it's clearly very complicated in the scriptures it's clearly like not a decision you would just make and wager you know i do not understand and there was one girl in my theology classes who had made that decision and i remember i just i was like i don't want to meet up with her because i just can't take it right now like i'm just to, and she saw me and she was like, I can't meet up with that guy. Like, side B, ew, you know, <laughs> and we both had this kind of revulsion towards each other. And then after nine months of being in the same class, we finally both got over ourselves and said, let's meet for coffee. Let's talk. And the most incredible friendship just blossomed. At first it was super awkward and really difficult. And I still like obviously deeply disagree with her and she deeply disagrees with me, but she told me her story and she said, I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian family where I had no love, David, where I had no one who ever showed me a sign of affection. And I had to let myself just go. I needed to just be (laughs) and not try to theologically qualify or just 
experience affection with other people. And I, I obviously pushed back and said, well, why can't you just do that in friendship and right. whatever? And that was, like, I did push back and like, why do you have to do that in, you know, a same sex relationship? But hearing her story and seeing that this isn't just an abstract question, this isn't just a theological question, this is about people's stories and people's real heart difficulties. It healed me. Like it just, there is this deep identification that I could have with her humanity, even if I disagreed with her conclusion. Right. And it was the same for her. And she said, you know, David, I really want to read the manuscript of your book. Mm. And so she read it and she said, if anything I've ever read, it made me want to be side B, like nothing. Like I just want, like, it's such a beautiful book. I obviously still disagree, but I endorse you fully. Like, I love you. And I think what you're doing is wonderful. Wow. And to hear those words from a side A person, like they're costly words. And yeah. this just broke my heart. It was like I suddenly had love for side A people. Mm. And she suddenly had love for side B people. Mm. And there was this healing. And we still disagree and we're still journeying differently. And like we will meet up and we'll still joke about that and say she'll be like, well, I just want you to have a gorgeous husband, but whatever. And I'll say, well, I just want you to find out what spiritual friendship's really like or, you know, mm. actually submit to the will and purpose of God in scripture. <laughs> bye. You know. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, bye. <laughs> she'll just be like, okay, whatever, you know. And so there's this exchange and there's this friendship. And obviously that's limited in some way by our differences, but yeah. it's also enhanced by them. And I think that's probably the friendship I'd focus on, the reaction I'd focus on the most that's helped. And then there's just the crazy, like, you're, you know, you're evil from yeah. the hyper-conservatives and the hyper-progressives, but let's not focus on that. No, because, let's not. It's and there not actually helpful. hasn't been that much of it. That's um, great. Thankfully, I got so can you just in case people are new listeners or just are unfamiliar with some of the terms that you just threw out, what's the difference between side A and side B? So side A is basically to just boil it down. Like gay marriage is okay within the church and you can kind of go down that path if you're same sex attracted or gay and side B is that that is not permissible and that a uh, life of celibacy or being in a marriage to an opposite sex partner is are the two kind of options mm -hmm. um, and life obviously emphasizing spiritual friendship and its importance in fulfilling our needs for intimacy. Yeah. Um, yeah. They would be the two kind of sides and obviously there's a limitation to that terminology, but it's just a kind of quick way when you're with people to be able to like work it out and not have to have a long winded conversation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Every nut and bolt of this very difficult question. So yeah, side A, side B. All right. So the title of this podcast is Why Can't We All Just Get Along? So I, there's kind of some exhaustion I sense in the world today of just like, uh, aren't we sick of fighting each other, especially in the church? And, you know, just all right, like really love is love. David, why you, do you have to hold your conviction so much? Can't you just just stop it. Like, why are you talking? Why are you an apologist? Why are you writing this stupid book? You know, in which I don't speak that over you. It's not stupid. And I take it back. But um, can't, like, why? Why are you talking? Because this matters. Because, like, there is a decision of holiness that needs to be made in, in that way that I talked about, where you're responding to God's beautiful grace, his gospel, Jesus, who gave himself for our life, like who deserves every single bit of our whole being. And I just, 
cannot not speak about that. Like I cannot not like I've been so transformed by it to, to compromise it on any level for me is just not an option. Mm. Um, and that's really where my heart is like, I have to speak about this. This was such a, both a beautiful and glorious process, but such a difficult one that has taken up so much room in my life, which means I haven't been able to develop hobbies like normal people. I haven't been (laughs) able to just, you know, just have a normal life. I've had to sacrifice that. And that's been costly for me. And, you know, I want to speak out of the wellspring of revelation and goodness that God's shown me Mm. this whole other way of living, which I just see not getting into the popular level discussion. Yeah. Even things as simple as what it means to be gay in that conversation. Like I disagree that being gay means you have to agree with a liberal ethic, a progressive ethic. I disagree that that's the case. I disagree that, you know, that being gay is actually about that. It's about what your desires are, your orientation, your humanity, and how it's both beautiful and broken and, and body trouble. Like every single human being faces body trouble of some kind, um, that we, we, we have to wrestle with. And in each other's stories, we can find aspects of redemption and hope for that body trouble. And I wanted to share so people could get that. But also to kind of make a statement and say, hey, there's a way to live this out that can lead to human flourishing. And that isn't bad news. It's actually wonderfully good news for gay people and all humanity. Um, I think that's what just, um, yeah, well, that's why. And I, I think we have to go deeper as a culture. I think that exhaustion is important to take rest and not always be thinking about this and have other aspects of your life. But there's also a moment to really deeply wrestle and that will bring us to a better place where we can live respecting each other's differences. Yeah, totally. So, but here I am. I'm looking at Steve Odell, Matt Krieg, straight as the day is long <laughs> and not involved. <laughs> they're in this conversation because they're connected to me. <laughs> and Matt speaks to me. And Steve, you're our producer. Bless you. Why do they have to talk about this conversation? Why, why do people need to care? Like, this isn't really, we have to fight. Really, we have to engage sexuality. Like, why do they need to talk about it? I think they, we all need to talk about it because we're all in the same boat. Even if our wrestle or our story looks slightly, like looks different. And this is, I think, something that's come out in my academic research is we used to have this discourse that said, homosexuality was unnatural and heterosexuality was natural when the gospel says everything has been denaturalized yeah whether it's heterosexual desire or homosexual desire which obviously also emanates from the fall differently to heterosexual desire but ultimately all of it's been affected and we need each other to get to our sacred calling that is truly beautiful and righteous and good before God. We, I need that heterosexual side of the church to get this, to create forms of life that are wider than just the heterosexual family unit. Like, and I, and they need us to break that open and help dismantle what could potentially become an idol, even though it's a very good thing. If it's not like there needs to be this mutual exchange and that will be the place that means we can serve Jesus well and glorify him well and be the church that pleases his heart. Whereas if we just never talk about this, I think what concerns me though, is that I feel like there's been this inward turn 
to kind of inside me, I'm gay. And that means I'm this completely different species of being. Like, I'm not even human like you. I'm gay. Um, no, like we have a common humanity that we can identify in each other and each other's stories. And I think it's dangerous when gay means that you don't have common humanity with everyone else. Yeah. And that you don't see your common humanity. And I've been concerned, I think, in our current climate with how being gay almost becomes this completely separate category where a heterosexual person just simply could never understand anything about you and closes down that conversation. Um, whereas I think we need to make sure we hold intention. There is a difference, but there's incredible commonality as well. Um, and yeah, I think God calls us to love people different to ourselves, but also in that love, finding that a commonality that we share. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, just a basic skill in loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And if I can, if I could jump in, like that's, that's something that I've seen just in my work with my, my clients, like that oftentimes they'll find their community, like their entire community wrapped up in whatever subgroup that they're involved in, whether it's, whether it's an LGBT group, whether it's, um, you know, a, a fighting against you know, pornography addiction group or, or whatever, where it's like everyone that's outside of this little bubble doesn't, won't ever be able to understand. And, and there's that kind of isolating nature where it's like these different silos that you, like you can live there, but there's no broader context. It, it actually creates a sense of shame where there's just this disconnect and it's like, well, you would never understand. And so I won't talk to you, but then there's also this internalized feeling of, they will never understand, so I can never actually share in a way that's vulnerable and meaningful. And I, that that's something that I've seen, like, in my walking with LGBT people who I'm like, man, there's been times I've looked around, I'm like, this is the first time in my life I've been, like, a minority in a group where it's like I'm surrounded by LGBT people and there's a common shared experience that I don't personally have. But it's so, mm. it's so enriching to, to be around people with, with this different experience and, and to see like, man, there's so much that I can take and I can learn and that I can appreciate about these other people's experiences. And it's, it's very, it's very new because I don't, I haven't just walked through it on my own, but it's also, it's just very enriching to have kind of that, that experience of like seeing in to, to another point of view and another, I guess, perspective. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think that it's really important that we realize that a lot of that siloing comes from a fear of rejection mm -hmm. that is a sign that we're not really anchored in Christ and in the Father's love. Mm -hmm. And I think for gay Christians, it's really important that we're held accountable. Um, but we don't want to be held accountable. And I found that one of my jobs being given you know, some space to thought about this academically. And I have to be careful because it's not my job to hold everyone accountable exactly. Mm -hmm. But there's been moments like where I felt really uncomfortable with say people just saying, well, I'm going to have a celibate gay partnership and not qualifying what that means and not giving, um, the rest of us what they mean by that, just saying, that's what it is. And I'm going to do it. And there's no accountability like, but then those people are afraid of being rejected by me because I'm just like, I can't see how that 
you know, if it isn't really strongly caveated in friendship and in a deep theology of desire, like it's going to be dangerous and it's going to lead to the path of eventually just, you know, leaving side B and, you know, just going off and getting married. And I know that's been some people's path and I like my heart goes to them and I'm not trying to like, but there's a point at which like we also gay people that are wanting to, what I believe be faithful to the gospel need to hold each other accountable, you know, and who's doing that. And that's been one of my concerns. And I think heterosexuals who aren't so intimately involved Hmm. can sometimes ask really good questions and really, you know, outside of the situation where they sometimes get it wrong, sometimes they can get really get it right. Mm -hmm. And we as gay people need to be humble enough to hear that and embrace that and say, you know what, you're right. (laughs) Like I am struggling with that. And thank you for lovingly like challenging me there. Um, I want to see more of that in the side be gay community in, you know, in my, like, and my friendship with this side A person has actually really helped me grow in that way. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's really helpful, really helpful. So I'm thinking of people who are listening and still maybe like, okay, yes, we can learn from each other. Yes, you know, we, we, you need to open up, and, and maybe I do just to understand more the, the gay journey, for lack of a better term. But, I mean, is this conversation really so significant? Is this, you know, this sexuality, marriage, like, come on. Like, isn't this like a side conversation? Is it, does it have anything to do with anything? And I'm, I'm reading an article, I'm looking at something that was on First Things, um, maybe today or yesterday, uh, when we're recording this, and it's by Carl Truman about the the UMC, United Methodist Church split. And he says something in here that I've been saying to pastors for a while. Like, honestly, the debate, this whole LGBT, like side A, side B, why we need to talk about this is symptomatic of essentially, do we believe the Bible is authoritative or not? Do we believe Mm. that Jesus is Lord? Like that was the question he asked you, David. And so I, I am like, you guys, we need to talk about this because it's only symptomatic that we are unwilling to surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, gay, straight, whatever, (laughs) not just even sexuality and all of it. So I have found, I'm watching my friends go, straight friends go from, uh, non-affirming worldview or side B, whatever, to affirming to, hmm, man, what if I'm wrong? Man, what if First Corinthians 6 is right? And my friends actually won't inherit the kingdom of God if they're, you know, believing differently. Like, I, I again, I'm just saying. So then they're like, well, I think hell's gone. Then they delete hell. Then they go from hell. Mm. They go to, well, shoot, hell's gone. Is Jesus the only way? And, eh, like literally within six months, my friends are turning into universalists and I am not oh, like yeah. a slippery slope doomsday girl. Like I'm not that person. I'm like pretty frowny about it, but I'm watching it happen. Are you seeing it? And is this not another reason we need to talk about this, but also the, the to the fact that this is symptomatic of a greater thing mm-hmm. that is happening in the world? I think that's a brilliant question, Laurie. I mean, I don't have all the answers, but what I have been surrounded by is an incredible amount of deconstruction with no reconstruction. Yep. 
Yep. Uh, and I, especially in America, um, I think like the UK is slightly more resistant to this because they've had hundreds of years and universalism's already been debated. Yeah. And, you know, in the Puritan circles and in the Church of England and like there are universalists, but they're usually high up in the academy and don't want to tell anyone because then they get like attacked. And yeah, yeah, I mean, what they believe, I believe is ultimately wrong and mistaken. Um, but there's this tendency to just deconstruct everything because it's all too difficult. Yeah. Mm. And it's also abstract instead of getting down nitty gritty with people, with the Holy Spirit, with the scriptures mm. and saying, what is the way forward to find a path of flourishing that both is about submission to the Lordship of Jesus, but is also going to cater for the real experience of the world. Yeah. And that is the kind of theology that I want to be part of. Mm. And that, and any compromise of the authority of scripture, I think whether you're inerrancy, infallibility, like you can have these debates, you know, what about the chariots in, you know, Chronicles and Samuel and isn't there a difference? Well, what, you know, I'm really like, like faith, doctrine, practice, like I'm not going to get completely obsessed with historical data, but the authority of that text to actually inform what we do and our lives of righteousness and yep. the practice of righteousness is if you don't have that, you do lose everything. Mm. And this is where I think the Anglican tradition for me has been a place, a safe haven where I can go in there and say, scripture is the ultimate authority, but I'm going to use reason and I'm going to think through my experience and tradition of the church. And I'm going to go study the church fathers and see how they dealt with all their situations. And then I'm going to reconstruct something that is faithful to the scriptures, faithful to God, um, but meets the challenges of the world we're in now. Mm. Okay. So, uh, this, <laughs> I just want to like go <laughs> take names and I don't know, like, I just want to like go and tell <laughs> yeah. people, come on, everybody. Like he's saying such rich stuff. Like, let's get in this. So David, for someone, when I look at you and like, I've, I've watched you debate some people online with gentleness, with charity, with grace. And then, okay. First of all, is it good to debate people online? <laughs> is there a uh, blanket statement? I, no. I think I've wrestled with this because of the way that the online platform has evolved and changed and shifted. Mm. Like, I think I thought like five years ago, I would definitely say, yes, yeah, go for it. People were thinking, they were like honestly wanting to engage, like here's my idea. They might get a bit grumpy, a bit like nasty at po points, but there was like this sense that, you know, we're, we're, this, this is live and we're exchanging. Yeah. Now I feel like the online space is just a place to dump a lot of negativity and mm. you have to be careful to avoid that dump because it's not good for anyone right whatever side it's coming from and so for me it's been a way of managing that I think there's been times where I felt in the Holy Spirit by the power of God I've meant to say something and I know, knew that it would maybe didn't know it would have so much of a reaction but enough of a reaction that I knew like this is going to be hard for the next three days and I'm gonna to have to speak to some people and and that's been rare where I put something up and then had to try to engage but that's where I felt called by God to do it. Um, and that's, that's rare. Um, but most of the time, I think it's just about creating a, a profile 
where people feel like they can discuss these questions with you. They might not agree. They might come from all sorts of different angles. I think the way that I'm processing online space now is just to create a space where people know who you are and what your convictions are, but they're able to question with you and journey with you. And you will have an influence on them and they'll have an influence on you, but you've got to manage it before the Lord and make sure that influence is held accountable to God. It all comes back to relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. It all comes back to loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And I just think if you're not doing that, you'll end up sliding. And I think that the safeguard for me has been worship and putting him first and Mm -hmm. um, going to church every Sunday and living a normal discipleship life in the the local church. yeah, that is the central thing that I hold on to when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling that I go to the scriptures, I read a psalm, I do a bit of liturgy, Anglican styles with all the scriptures through it. I go have a charismatic prayer session with a friend. Like, I don't know what it looks like. Just do it. Just get there with God and process and let it out and, pr- and then come back to it, reconstruct, hmm. move forward. That's how I've dealt with it. Um and yeah, I don't think there's like a magic formula. I don't know, Laurie, I'm interested in your thoughts. I love this way that you're, I have the same heart as you. I really struggle because I was deceived yeah. and because I couldn't see. Yeah, me too. And then when I saw the truth of the gospel and deception was taken off my eyes, it was such an amazing freeing thing. And then I, you go into the world and it gets dull and it gets things try to steal it and, yeah. you know, voices try to speak against it and crush it in you. And, you know, I, I don't want to attack the people that say those things because I don't think that's what we're called to do as Christians, but we are meant to come against those ideas and pull them into submission. Christ. So I wonder, Laurie, Hmm. maybe if you can just share like how you have processed that and what, like, I feel like it's also a form of spiritual warfare maybe, um, that we need to engage in. So process specifically what, like the. Well, just that universalism, you know, Mm -hmm. gay marriage is fine. Let's split the church. Let's, you know, well, what's this gospel thing? You know, everyone's going to be saved anyway. Like, hell, yeah, whatever. Like, there's no real thing. Like, yeah, there might be a hell, but eventually everyone will be saved anyway. Like, we don't want to go there. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like, at the end, everyone will be saved. So, uh, you know, instead of this, like, I don't know what's going to happen it seems like, oh my gosh, like if you do not live in Christ, like there is a serious danger here that we want to avoid for all people. We want all people to come to salvation. Like the difference between those two is huge, actually, even if it looks small sometimes. How I process it internally is what you're saying is the, how, how do I get back to Jesus? I just go to all my spiritual disciplines. You know, it's, I do a lot of listening to the Bible because especially because I'm so crazy busy with the kids, but I'll do different apps that will recenter me. But for me, honestly, with specifically this question of when I see people speaking what, how I interpret the word and in my spirit, it feels like lies. I go to God alone first because otherwise I'm going to go ragey on the internet or on my kids or on myself and just, it'll either implode or explode. So I go to the Lord with it and I explode on him. I say, God, this is so painful because I have, I've wrestled with it. I think when you've gone to the bottom of the barrel, you're like, why would I want to go back there? Why is everyone staring at the bottom of the barrel? Like, don't, 
there's so yes. much more than this. And I've been down there and it's <laughs> gross and it's ugly and it isn't fun. So stop staring at the barrel. Look up at Jesus. So mm. for me, I think I, I take that angst to the Lord and I ask him that takes a lot of discernment. Do you want me to post something? Do you want me to talk to them directly? It's usually not like a big clickety clackety all over the internet, rage, rage. Um, but I think exactly what you said in the end there is, are you sure you want to mess with it? Like, are you willing to risk eternity for the fleeting pleasures of sex today or the type of sex or, or to just not like, you you know, for people who are not LGBT or identify, you know, or gay, whatever, Yeah. but for the, their friends, are you really so lazy? Sorry, but are unwilling to do the hard, gritty walk alongside road of yes, it's hard, but Jesus is worth it. Like, I, I just, I, I don't want to risk it because at the end of my life, it's just me and Jesus. <laughs> All yeah. you friends yeah. who have been saying these, this is great, 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 great. You're not there. It's me and Jesus. And so I don't want to walk the line. I want to run to Jesus. Yes. Matt, Steve, were you going to come yeah, in? Yeah, I, I think from a, <laughs> We need to be held down a little from bit. A, <laughs> <laughs> well, just from a a straight perspective like there's so much in in just in my own sexuality that I know that I've needed to submit to to God and and when I get to this point where it's like yeah it would be hard for someone to say no to a relationship or or whatever like part of what I have to do is is look at myself and say okay what are some of the areas in my life where I would like to cut corners mm-hmm. you know where I really don't want to submit to the Lordship of Christ. And I mean, whether it's sexuality, whether it's finances, whether it's, you know, parenting, whether it's just wanting to check out of parenting altogether and spend, you know, every day looking at my phone and let them watch screen. Yeah. Watching, watching sports and living the easy, comfortable life or whatever. Like I, I feel like at least in the States, you know, in Westernized culture, there, there is this sense of like, we are accustomed to being comfortable and I don't think we often stare at this thing that makes us comfortable, which might not even be like in and of itself a bad thing, but has become an idolatrous thing. And, and we don't actually hold that open to God. Like if we actually, like, like you said, David, if we got face to face with the Lord and, and looked at him, looked at the creator God who is ontologically different than us as created beings. Mm. And if we looked at him and said, I have no idea how to relate to you. I have, I have no, no leg to stand on. I have nothing of my own value or my own merit that I can do to even reach toward you and to, to have him reach down and lift Mm. us up into that communion. Like if, if we don't, if we don't look at him in the face and just awe, like what, what is it that we're holding in his place? Because it's something, it's gotta be something because we're made for that. And you know, it's interesting because when I started to go deep with the Lord, I, you know, had these revelations about the Trinity and how he created us male and female in the beginning. And then how that's reflected in the romance of the church and Jesus and 
God and creation becoming one and the spirit being put in the whole of creation and glory just pouring out of it. Like that when I, like I had those revelations, but then when I actually got to the theological table and I did the hard work, but in the context of living in a ministry and doing ministry and living in the local church, Anglican charismatic church in Oxford, there was this moment where I realized why gay marriage matters so much and why it isn't just a secondary issue. And I realized it was because it was about God's identity. Hmm. It was about his heart. It was about what he did, not about us. We were secondary. And what I found was that by saying gay marriage is fine, what you do is you instill a disjuncture between the creator who created male and female for a purpose and to reveal something actually in the future, in the eschaton, about how all things would be made one. Mm. You reject that and say the Redeemer doesn't agree with that and has other plans. And you create two gods in one God, and you actually split the gospel in half. And it is so serious. It is so serious when you think about who God is. And everyone is so focused on the bar- end of the barrel, as you say, yep. and so not focused on God. I find myself filled with grief about yes. who he is yes. and who, what he is worthy of. And the church is not asking the question, is he worthy? Why aren't more gay people that are in marriages are saying, well, we can leave this. Why is it seen as this permanent endpoint? Mm. Like, why are people, you know, who are on side B getting obsessed with these little arguments about just live for Jesus? And I think... What I was told by a mentor in my life is he went to a country, which I can't name. And anyway, he was with a church leader in the persecuted church. And the the church leader in the persecuted church said to him, oh, my gosh, I just can't imagine what it's like to live in a country where I can worship freely, where I can pray freely, where I can just be a Christian. It must be so amazing. Mm. And my mentor looked back at him with a full on face and said, I can't stand being there. I would much prefer to be with you. And he said, well, why? And he said, well, we're just arguing about women and ministry and our views on it and sexuality. And anyway, this church leader turns back to him in the persecuted church and he says, well, that's because your church is died in broken English. That's mm. because your church is died. Ugh. In other words, your church is dead. In other words, we need a revival. We need yes. to come back to the true thing. And I just don't know how we can get ourselves out of this these debates that like weigh us down and back to the Lord and maybe division in the churches, like splitting it is what we need to do. I don't know. Anglicans won't do it that way. (laughs) They have a different method. I, I don't know, but I think something of just in our own interpersonal relationships, just trying to do our best before the Lord and saying faithful and true to him is all we can do. And then the rest is up to him. Amen. Oh, just amen. And guys, let's start a revival on this podcast. Let's start (laughs) all you listeners get faithful. We've been, that's like been such a theme of the last couple months on this podcast is get gritty, get rooted. Maturity is not an option. Like it's time. Even if all your friends are staring at the bottom of the barrel, let's all start looking up. Because it's only yeah. going to crank up. The heat's only going to crank up hotter and we're not going to realize we're, we're getting burned up or frozen in our bathtub and wrinkly. <laughs> so, exactly. Take it full circle, full circle, David. Uh, but yeah. guys, let's, let's do it. Let's start here. 
Uh, David, yeah. your gift to the church. I love you, brother. Bye, and I'm bye. so thankful love for you. So you. Much, guys. Thank you. So guys, if you want to find that book that we've been talking about, A War of Loves, it's on the internet. On the thing called Amazon. You ever heard of it? <laughs> no, sorry. That was kind of patronizing. It's on Amazon. You can find it, but it's called A War of Loves. It's worth reading. Uh, you can also follow him on the old social meds on Facebook is where he has, he's created that platform that he alluded to where you can ask those questions. And uh, it's it's neat. It's neat to learn from him, just even me as myself, uh, how he interacts with people. But um, I don't know. It's just sweet to think about how he asked the Lord how to even interact there, which we would all do well to do that as well. Uh, but guys, we are booking, just in case you're wondering about where's Matt and Lori, where in the world are Matt and Lori? Um, we're booking speaking engagements, some of our workshops. Uh, we do some teaching Sunday mornings, etc. If you're interested, if you want to just talk to us about that, how we can, we really want to build the kingdom of God with you guys. And so if you want some help with that in the sexuality, gender, marriage conversation, um, you know, David would be awesome to ask. We're, we're happy to come alongside you guys as well, but you can find us on the new LoriKrieg.com, K-R-I-E-G. Uh, Lori Creek and Lori with all the vowels, not L-O-R-I. That's the wrong spelling, guys. It's wrong. There's right and wrong. Uh, it's L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G. But um, we, if, if we can serve you, we'd love to. Okay. We have a question of the week, though, for next week. And it is, what country has your heart besides the one you live in? We want to hear that and why. So let us know. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and you can let us know. We want to hear. Okay. I need to go and like take a bath or something. I'm so amped up by this episode. Just don't fall asleep. I just don't fall asleep for four hours and almost drown. Uh, but you guys, uh, thanks so much for being a part of this podcast family. We so appreciate you. So for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. Oh.